Thank you, Bert, and thank you, uh, Sally. Sally, you're on the pew plane, right? Yeah. Sometimes I'm getting old, you know. Thank you very much, and a great job as always. And uh, just to kind of add on to what Bert was saying about the old hymns, I, I've always wanted, I, if you, like if he brings out, you know, there are a lot of great doctrinal hymns. The content and the, the lyrics is fantastic. And a lot of churches, like especially in America, you know, with the, the appeal to the modern audience, they forget about all our heritage. It's not right, you know. So the church has got a, a long storied past, so we, we, we're not, uh, we're hurting ourselves by not taking advantage of that great heritage, which is, you know, expressed in these uh, hymns that we have. So uh, when I came here, I, when I you know, heard you did these hymns, and Britt does a great job, and uh, and the girls accompanying him, and I was like, that's fantastic, you know, because, you know, a lot of my churches, you know, where I, I was the, I was actually the music ministry, so I, I always liked to have other people. When I, the music ministry I came from, you know, we had quite a, quite a group of musicians, so I like that. I, like, I don't like to be the main main guy, but I had no choice with with the other churches that I had. But uh, I never had those. We used to do, you know, um, what do they call it? How Great Thou Art, I did that. And I did a bunch of uh, hymns, but I like to do the, the old stuff, but I also did the contemporary music of my own. So um, I used to do, like, Mercy Me stuff and all that stuff. But it's great. The new stuff, is a lot of the new stuff is good, like Stephen Curtis Chapman, but we can't forget about the, 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 the hymns of the past. I mean, they just... It, we're not doing ourselves a favor by it. We're doing, it's to our detriment that we don't take advantage of that great heritage that we have in the church, you know, centuries of people writing music that, music that honors the Lord. And, you know, a lot of songs, they don't even mention the Trinity today. Like, I try to incorporate in some of my songs, you know, mention of the Trinity. And the old hymns, they always, they did that quite often. So it's something modern, modern writers, Christian writers need to take a, uh, to do more of. So, uh, like myself. So let's, uh, let's take, as we normally do, we take a, a prayer for the uh, not uh, pray, not just the prayer for the the second session, but also we pray for the offering. So, as you all know what to do, look around. Let's take a all right, bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great honor and privilege that you've given to us to exp- uh, to uh, present to you this love gift, this expression of our love for you, your Son Jesus Christ, and the power of the Spirit. We offer this up to you. We know that all that we have uh, financially is all from you because you are the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills and all the silver and the gold in the world is yours. And so uh, we just uh, now like to express our love for you and the great appreciation that we have for the great spiritual blessings that we have because of our union identification with your son and the great temporal blessings that we have, especially in this country and this great country, America, and all the wonderful uh, blessings that we have, temporal blessings and uh, privileges. And, and uh, we just thank you, Father, for all the, the luxuries, really, that we have, too, that you've given to us. So we just uh, present this in, in, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this love gift to you. I also pray, Father, for this second session that you'd help me to deliver your full counsel with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power once again. I pray you would work mightily again through your people, through the Spirit, help them to learn, understand, and apply what's being taught to concentrate and to break down any barriers that sin and Satan might put up that would hinder that from happening and applying what we're being taught here today. I pray that this message would be a blessing to people, that it would give correction where it's needed, exhortation to further obedience to your word, rebuke if necessary, instruction in righteousness so that we can continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it is in his name we pray. Amen. As you can see on the board, we're looking at the the second part of Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 6. As I said before, the opening prayer in the first session, we're going to be looking at verse 6 in three lessons. So we studied the first lesson, we studied the A part, the first two prophetic uh, Two first two statements there, and then we uh, we're going to look at the B part, which uh, for a sick, which teaches us that the Lord Jesus Christ will cause the nations to tremble with fear at His second advent. And the first session next Sunday, we'll finish off the verse uh, by noting the last prophetic statement, which talks about the angels uh, assisting Him 
processions of angels. You can't see that in your English translations in the NIV. So we're going to talk about that because it is a translation issue, but I'm not the only one that sees this. A lot of the scholars actually have uh, pointed this out. So that'll be next Sunday before we move on to verse 7 in the second session. So uh, again, again, in the second session, we'll be looking at the B part of the back of 3.6, which teaches us that the Lord Jesus Christ will cause the nations to tremble with fear at his second advent. So again, we're talking about the period uh, that ends the 70th week of Daniel, the, the tribulation period, as we studied in the first session, and we're studying right now in our Day of the Lord series on Wednesdays. So verse 6 is, and verses 3 through 15 are actually uh, speaking of that last three and a half years of the 70th week and the second advent of Christ. So if you look at my 70 weeks prophecy um, uh, chart on the board, uh, we see that uh, if you look over here, you can see my my, my mouse pointer. Antichrist, Daniel 9.27, makes a treaty with Israel. He's, the, uh, he's a, a, a ruler of the Roman Empire, the final stage of the Roman Empire, which actually, the United States of Europe is actually setting this up. And they've been trying to put Hitler, Napoleon, a whole bunch of people have tried to resurrect the Roman Empire. Uh, and uh, so Antichrist will be able to do that, okay, because God will permit it. And so that can't happen until the church is removed at the rapture, as we pointed out in detail with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 12. So Antichrist establishes this treaty halfway through the treaty. Remember, this is a seven-week seven period, uh, seven, uh, seven weeks in this passage is seven. Um, the final week, the 70th week, is seven years. It's broken up in two three-and-a-half-year sections. And the, the final um, three-and-a-half years starts with Antichrist breaking the treaty by desecrating the, uh, the temple. He sits on the rebuilt uh, the Ark of the uh, Covenant and the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. Second Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4 talks about this and declares himself God. And uh, it's, it's talked about in Daniel 9, 27. The other abomination, because there's two abominations here, uh, is uh, the image of the Antichrist that's presented by the false prophet. Acts thir uh, Revelation 13 talks about this. Jesus talks about it standing in the holy place. And Matthew 24 in his Olivet Discourse, at that time, that's when the, the, the Israelites that are alive at the time will have to disperse and leave the country. And there'll be a small remnant of freedom fighters, according to Zechariah 14 and 12, that'll be sitting in the city of Jerusalem till fighting the Antichrist up to this, the uh, second advent of Christ. So this second advent ends the 70th week. And remember, there's, so we have a cold war, the first three and a half years, and peace and safety. Paul talks about the people of the world at that time saying peace and safety. Little did they know that Antichrist is going to disrupt this whole thing. And that begins the Armageddon campaign is breaking the treaty, desecrating the temple. And so it ends with the second advent of Jesus Christ. And this is the Armageddon campaign is not a pitched battle like Waterloo. It's actually a almost the length of World War II, three and a half year period. So that is what we're talking about in, in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 6. In fact, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 through 15 is talking about the last three and a half years of the 70th week and the second advent, which ends that particular week, the 70th. Uh, prophetic week of Daniel. So let's look at Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. We'll read the whole chapters we've been doing so we can study Habakkuk 3, 6 in its context. So Habakkuk 3, 1 says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, Anshagayanah, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. And wrath, remember mercy. Now we have the beginning of the divine warrior psalm in verses 3 through 15. It's a lyrics to a song, as we pointed out. It's poetry, and it's mostly prophecy. So pro prophetic poetry here. Verse 3, God came from Teman, speaking of Jesus Christ coming from uh, what we would call today uh, the kingdom of Jordan at his second advent with blood on his garments, we saw in Isaiah 63, the comparative passage. So that means that Jesus will kill his enemies at his second advent. So this is the Lion of Judah. Yes, he's the Lamb of God, but he's also the Lion of Judah. And you do not want to be on his bad side. To get on God's good side is simple faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And that's all you need to do to avoid the wrath of God. So God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. 
Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens. At the glint of your flaming, flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear, in wrath you strode the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness, a reference to the execution of the Antichrist by Jesus Christ at his second advent. You stripped him from head to foot. It actually means he split him from head to foot with his omnipotence. Selah, that means meditate upon it. It's a rest in the music. With his own spear, you pierced his head, the Antichrist's head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, the Jews, gloating us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. All of verse 3 through 15 primarily is prophetic of the second, uh, second advent of Christ and the 70th week of Daniel. The 70th week of Daniel, we have the tribulation period, the last three and a half years of that 70th week, where the seven-sealed trumpet and bull judgments of Revelation 6 to 18 are poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. That, again, cannot happen until the church has been raptured. Okay? We're delivered from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, Paul makes that explicit. In fact, the whole thing can't start until we're removed of the rapture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 12. So to avoid the wrath of God during the tribulation period and to avoid the wrath of God, which is God's righteous indignation, his justified anger towards sinners, you must have faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, John 3, 36. How much like, saved from what? Why do we, what do we need to be saved from? People talk, I want to get saved. Saved from what? Here's what we need to be saved from. Paul talks about this. Saved from God's wrath. In the lake of fire forever. Hell. Saved from Satan. Enslavement to him in the sin nature, in this cosmic system. Slave, delivered from what? Physical and spiritual death. Delivered from condemnation from the law. All through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law perfectly. He suffered the wrath of God in our place. So that we wouldn't suffer the wrath of God in the lake of fire forever. That's God's love for us. I don't care who you are. Where you've come from. He loves you. He showed it at the cross of Calvary. I'm no different than anybody else in the human race, and neither are you. We're all wicked before God. None righteous, no, not one. But he loves us. We're created in his image, and he cares about us. So, to, so by trusting in Jesus as your Savior, and what do, I, what do you need to get saved? Well, first, you've got to understand who we're believing in. What Jesus? Because the world has different types of Jesus out there. The Jesus of the Bible, who died on the cross... The Son of God who became a human being died on the cross and then rose from the dead on the third day. That's the Jesus of the gospel that we need to believe in. Okay? Not this uh, Jesus that the world has out there that's totally devoid of scripture. So you believe Jesus died on the cross for you and rose from the dead. Salvation is a gift. You don't earn it or deserve it. Somebody comes knocking on your door. You won a million dollars. Oh, Really? What do I have to do to get this? What's the catch? Because I'm from Massachusetts and I think everything's here. I don't trust anybody. That's the way we are, Massachusetts. We don't trust. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Let me prove it to me. Well, no, you don't have to do anything. All you do is have to accept it. It's a gift. You know, people gave gifts to each other at Christmas. It's a gift salvation. You don't earn it or deserve it. The object of your faith saves you from God's wrath. It's that easy. And then God has a fantastic life it's for you that he cares about you you're now become a member of the body of Christ the future bride of Christ that will reign over this earth the last shall be first and the first shall be last okay we don't look like much the church we're, we're frowned upon Christians are rejected in the world today in America it's not like it was a hundred years ago this country had a Judeo-Christian effect the, whole, the founding fathers of this country many were Christians at least had a respect for the Bible, those who are deists, like Jefferson. So we're, we're outnumbered now. We're not a Christian nation. And so that we're hated and, we'll be, and we'll, the persecution will start to mount as we go. But that's okay. Because it's momentary light affliction is going to produce in us an eternal weight of glory. We're on the side that wins in the end, that reigns and rules this earth in the end. And it doesn't matter. You look at the history of the church. 
God saves slaves. The early church was composed of a lot of slaves, people who were nothing to society. The reason why the gospel spread so fast in the Roman Empire and changed the Roman Empire, so much so that it influenced the, 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 the people of Rome to get rid of slavery. We needed a war to get rid of it. Not in the Roman Empire. The gospel changed the hearts of people. And that's the only thing that changed our country right now. And so that's, this is the great plan that God has for us. So we see that this prophecy, okay, this is about the last three and a half years, the 70th week, the tribulation period, and the Armageddon campaign, and the second advent of Christ, when the church comes back with Jesus to start the kingdom along with the elect angels, tribulational martyrs and resurrection bodies, and also Old Testament saints and resurrection bodies. So then it says in verse 16, uh, Habakkuk expresses his faith in the Lord. He says, I heard my heart pounded, and my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet... I'll rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Now, what, do we, what is he saying there? Habakkuk, remember, was told by God that his nation's going to be disciplined for their apostasy by the Babylonian Empire. God would eventually judge Babylon, too, for their evil. He's saying, despite the fact that my nation's about to be destroyed, I'm going to rejoice in my Lord. Now, and we'll talk about this in detail. It's fantastic. If you have Jesus and a relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? It doesn't matter if they take away your house, your country, or even your life. Okay? Because we're victorious. When we die, we're absent from the body face to face with the Lord. Remember I told you my brother Kenny was dying of cancer. And they, when they did the surgery, they couldn't, they couldn't get, they, 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 they didn't take enough of the bone, it looked like. But it didn't really matter because he was, he was in the waste business, you know, and he was the you know, hazardous waste thing, so he was exposed to stuff. So he has this surgery done, and the cancer came back. He had no lymph nodes to stop it. So his face blowed up. I gave him the gospel for it. He, he'd heard it from me many times. But I remember saying in his ear, you know, when he was dying. And I think the last conscious moment he had with us was when we were praying over him. Okay, it was hard. because So I'm saying, that I guess everything I told him, I said, when, he came, when I came in and talked to him the, the several times before that, I said, just remember what I told you. You hang on to Jesus with all your life. Hang on to him. He's not going to let you down. Next thing you'll see, you'll be absent from the body face to face with Jesus. And I'll be, with, I'll, be wish, I'll be so jealous that you're with Jesus right now. And I'm not. So they can do whatever they want to us. When you have Jesus, your wealth is where Jesus is. If they take away your house, your job, and lose everything like Paul did when he was in prison, they throw you in jail, you still have Jesus. You can't take that away. Nothing could separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So here's Habakkuk knowing his people are about to be destroyed. His nation's going to be deported to, to Babylon for 70 years. Yet he's rejoicing. Then he says in verse 19, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and he enables me to go to, on to the heights. And then he says, For the director of music on my string instruments. That's telling us this is lyrics to a song that he wrote that will be sung in the temple. That was actually sung in the temple... The very temple that Jesus went into, Herod's temple, in the first century, which was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. And they were singing this song. And little did they, many of them know that this was about him when he would come back a second time to start the kingdom. The first time, remember the cross has to come before the crown. He had to, pay, he had to deal with the sin of the world first before he could start the kingdom of God on earth. So he came the first time to save the second time, he comes to judge and deliver Israel from her enemies and the Antichrist and the devil and his, his fallen angels and start the kingdom, the millennial reign of Christ. So you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are now going to be experiencing the millennial reign, perfect environment, no storms, no war, because the devil's been removed and his angels. We're going to live with God forever in new heavens and new earth. You've got everything to live for. You've got a great plan for you, all mapped out for you. God loves you, and he wants you and I to become like his son, Jesus Christ, so he can reward us like he rewarded his son. The bride of Christ, that's who we are. So if you look on, my, on the board, my translation of verse 6, 
of verses 3 through 6. God will travel from Teman, then the Holy One will travel from Mount Paran, Selah, it's the beginning of Jesus, of course. His majesty will cover the heavens so that his praise will certainly fill the earth. In fact, his splendor will be like lightning. Flashing rays of light will come from his hand on his behalf. Indeed, there it covers his strength. Plague will proceed from his presence. Correspondingly, pestilence will follow at his feet. And then it says in verse 6, he, Jesus, will stand while he causes the earth to shake. At the second advent, as we saw in the first session with Zechariah 14, he stands on the Mount of Olives, which is still there today, from which he ascended, Acts chapter 1. He will stand on the Mount of Olives, he descends, lands on the mountain, massive earthquake that levels the earth and changes the topography of Jerusalem and the whole world. That's what he's talking about. He will look while he causes the citizens of the nations to tremble in fear while the ancient mountains disintegrate. We're going to be noting that prophecy there. The primeval hills will be flattened. Ancient processions, speaking of the angels, assist him. So, in the third statement, in verse 6, that asserts that the Lord Jesus Christ, that is second advent, will look, and the fourth statement coincides with the third, and asserts that Jesus will cause the citizens of the nations to tremble in fear at his second advent. Now, these two statements constitute the second prophetic statement in this verse. So, therefore, people, they reveal that when he returns with us, the church, and the Old Testament saints, and the tribulational martyrs, at his second advent, he will strike them with great fear. When he merely looks at them. You've got to understand something. He is coming in all his glory. In his first advent, his, his glory was veiled. Remember in the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17? Peter, James, and the Johns came with him, right? And all of his, his garments were white, like white, light, white as that white, no, we didn't have a seen fabric like that, okay? He just, his light just shone from him, okay? He's omnipotent God, the eternal Son of God, second member of the Trinity, right? And he revealed who he really was. During his first advent, they didn't know who he was, his glory was veiled. All that's gone when he comes back in the second advent. And here's the thing. When I talked about death, right? You and I will see him in, when we die, or the rapture, whichever comes first, okay? When we get our resurrection body, we're going to see him as he really is in all his glory. Yes, he's a human being, just like us. And he's our great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. We, we sinners, and he knows that. He knows what we went through because he's been a human being. He is a human being, and he's went through. He had to brush his teeth. He went through. Jesus went through injustice. Nobody has faced more injustice than Jesus. He was a perfect human being and God, and they crucified him unjustly, executed him. He was lied about. He was slandered about. So he knows how you feel and I feel when we go through those things. He knows what it's like to physically suffer. God does, because God, the Son, became a human being. And so he is our God who can empathize with us, but he is also going to destroy our enemies that are persecuting us, the Satan and the fallen angels. Remember, the church has a war going on, an invisible enemy, Ephesians 6, 10, uh, 10 through 14, where Satan and the fallen angels wage war against us, the church. And we can defeat them with the sword of the spirit, the word of God, okay? And the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, speaking of our union identification with Christ, the helmet of salvation, the, breast, uh, the, uh, the combat boots of the gospel, okay? So, of course, Jesus, his enemies, will be those who will be trembling in this passage with fear at his presence when he looks at them to destroy them. In fact, Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 teaches that the people of the earth at that time will mourn when the Lord Jesus Christ appears on planet Earth at his second advent. And this, and this mourning, this, this crying, will be that of his enemies because they will experience great fear because of his presence. Let me show you this. Go to Revelation chapter 1. Last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. Now you can think about it. What is Jesus today? People make fun of Jesus. You know, when Jesus is going to come back, pie in the sky, they make fun of us, okay? I told you, you know, in the, in the South, tell you what, it's a different country here, and I know it's, 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 it's not the way it used to be 100 years ago, okay? But you still have a big Christian presence here. I never, in, I come from the North, okay? I'm a, I'm a Yankee. I'm a damn Yankee. I'm, stay, I'm here to stay, okay? 
I ain't leaving. They get in a snowstorm. There's one reason, many reasons why I'm not staying in Massachusetts. Too much, too much, too much government control of everything. Too much taxes. Too cold. Gotta shovel two feet of snow. Sorry. And the people up there in New England, they drink too much coffee and Dunkin' Donuts, and they're always uptight. Everything is very high paced, and everybody's trying to kill each other. Okay. It's the truth, brothers and sisters. It's true. So I come down here. It's great. I go, I, I, I'm sitting in a cigar, smoking a cigar with somebody, and they go, and when they, I tell them in the past, they go, thank you for your service. It's like I'm in the military. Or please, I was like, thank you for my service. I, I never got that in Massachusetts. You know what I got in Massachusetts? When I was talking to somebody, and they get, what do you do for work? I'm like, I'm a pastor. Oh, okay. And then it's like, and you could just see, they're getting out of this conversation because he's a pastor. Okay, down here, they find out I'm a pastor, they want to talk to me. They can't believe you smoke a cigar. Yeah, I smoke a cigar. I'm a pastor. I smoke a cigar. What's the big deal? You and you have and, I, and if you I have a problem with alcohol, don't drink. Okay, okay. But I'll have an old fashioned. Okay, and they're very delicious. Military guys told me about it. So I'll, I have one, maybe two old fashions tops. Okay, because it says not to be drunk with wine. Now listen, to me. I mentioned all this, and they're like. Oh, I did. A pastor that, that smokes a cigar and has a glass of whatever. And he goes, why not? Jesus hang out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. What do you think they were doing? You think they were sipping, having milk and cookies and tea? No. Okay, Jesus ran with a rough crowd sometimes. He didn't do what they did. But how are you going to reach the people who need Jesus if you don't get down to where they are? Okay? So I don't like to sit in my ivory tower. Okay? I like, I like people. I mean, let's face you know how much I love people, and I actually hang out with, like, hanging out with Kirk, you know? Believe it or not, you know? So that's how much I love people. I'll even put up with Kirk. Look, he's just looking at me. So, back to the passage. You just think about this with Jesus. They make fun of him. They make fun of Christians. Where in Massachusetts, you talk about Jesus, oh, they think you're a nun. As I said, I'm, I'm, I'm looked at with scorn a pastor in the North. Really? Even I, when I was in Iowa, they don't like, I never had any friends outside of the church in those places. Can you believe that? Yes. Because they don't like me. So I represent somebody they hate, Jesus. Okay? Now you think about all the people, the only way the time they talk about Jesus is a byword on their lips. Like a swear word. They disrespect him. They make fun of him. He does Jesus. He didn't, really, he didn't really come here 2,000 years ago when all the historical evidence outside of the Bible says he did. Of course he did. Well, I don't believe this Jesus. Okay. As I said before, I had a Jewish man I worked with. He was a good guy. I liked him. He was a, uh, I, was an NEC, an NEC, I was a manager of an NEC dealer in New England. And he, they all knew I was a Christian. And I, they would, my, my bosses used to go and try to get me to talk about it. So I would. I would talk about it. But I wasn't out there on, you know, on top of the desk saying, okay, everybody listen to the gospel, okay? I'm doing my job, what I'm supposed to be doing. But they would ask me, and we'd be at lunch, and I remember this guy, he's a Jewish guy, and he was not a believer, of course, and he said, you know, I said, well, I said, well what do you, you know, we're talking about the subject of dying. He said, well, what do you think happens when you die? You heard me? I think he said this last week. And he says, well, you just don't exist. I go, okay. He said, my, my Bible says, when I die, you're, if you're a believer, you go absent from the body face to face with the Lord. You go to heaven. If you die, you go to hell. So, if I don't, if I don't, uh, if I believe, if, if the worst comes to me, the worst comes to me if I believe what you believe, and you're right, well, I just don't cease, I cease to exist, if, you know, okay, when I die. If I believe your system. If I'm right, you go to hell, I go to heaven. You willing to bet your soul and eternity on that? You gotta be out of your mind. That's how the devils deceived the world. To think that hell's not a real place. Heaven's not a real place. Jesus is not a real person. You know how you know Jesus exists? All of us have the Holy Spirit, don't we? Here in this chapel that are believers in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. Our lives are testimony to the fact that Jesus does exist because we couldn't have got the Spirit until Jesus ascended into heaven and was seated at the right hand of the Father and then he sent the Spirit on the day of Pentecost to those who would believe in him. So we're testified to the fact that Jesus does exist. In fact, when you interact with us and we practice the love of God, we love our neighbors ourselves, treat others the way you want to be treated, we're evidence of the fact that there is a God and there is a Jesus because we're imitating him. 
He does exist. So think about this whole thing. He comes back that one fine day when the saints come marching in. That's what that song's about. And everybody who was mocking him and made fun of him or said he didn't exist, guess what? It's going to be, uh-oh, we were wrong. And you would think that they would repent and believe. No. They're like their father, the devil. I'm not going to worship you. Remember the movie, The Devil's Advocate, that great scene at the end? Unbelievable scene. They had to be a Christian or got listen to some doctrine to get that, write that screenplay at the end. Worship him, Al Pacino playing the devil. Worship that. That's what his children say. Just like the devil. I'm not worshiping this Jesus. I worship my Jesus because Jesus loved me when I was enemy. I don't have anybody who loves me like Jesus does. Who died for you when you were his enemy. We don't do anything for our enemies. Jesus does. God does. Why would you want to love somebody like that and worship? He's not a cruel taskmaster. The devil is, though. The devil is the great deceiver. Comes as an angel of light. He doesn't love you. He doesn't love the human race. He hates you, and he hates me. Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near, it's imminent. You see what he said? Blessed means happy. It's who takes this words of the prophecy in this book seriously. If you don't take it seriously, you're very foolish. A wise person pays attention to what's being said here. Verse 4, John. This is John's wit. He's telling you what he faced, experienced. He's writing it down for us. John, to the seven churches in the Roman province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. President Biden, the President Putin, all the rulers of the earth. In the past, today, and in the future, they're all under the king who rules over the kings and the ruler who's the ruler over the rulers of this earth. They're all accountable to him. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve as God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, here it is. Second advent of Christ, when he comes to start the kingdom, destroy his enemies, and, and, and present Satan and the fallen angels for a thousand years, kill the Antichrist and the false prophet, destroy the armies of the tribulation period, and start the kingdom of God on the earth. Lift the curse that this earth is under now. Bring peace to it. The Prince of Peace will forcibly, violently bring peace to this earth. A peace that man has been searching for for centuries since the Garden of Eden and they can't find it. Kennedy tried to give it to us. Roosevelt tried to do this. Lincoln, all the peoples of the earth, even today, the kings of the earth, trying to bring in the United Nations. Good luck. You can't do it because there's a devil who deceives the world and we are all sinners by nature and practice. Amen is right. So look, he's coming, it says. Verse 7, he's coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Everyone will see him. Even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. So as we said here with this slide on the board, Revelation 1-7 teaches that the people of the earth will mourn when the Lord Jesus Christ appears on planet earth at his second advent. And this mourning will be that of his enemies because they will experience great fear because of his presence. So, the fifth statement in Habakkuk 3.6, as we just read, asserts that the mountains, ancient mountains, will disintegrate. And this constitutes the third prophetic statement in Habakkuk 3.6. The sixth statement in this verse, as we read, asserts that the primeval hills will be flattened and constitutes the fourth prophetic statement. And both of these prophetic statements will find their fulfillment at the same time as the first two prophetic statements, namely, at the second advent of Jesus Christ. So therefore, 
we see that this would indicate that while the Lord Jesus Christ is standing and causing the earth to shake at a second advent, landing on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, while looking and causing the nations at the same time to tremble with fear, the ancient mountains will disintegrate around him and the primeval hills will be flattened. Zechariah 14, we read in the first session, that massive worldwide earthquake, which is mentioned in the book of Revelation, will flatten planet Earth. So all the people, within, you know, all the rich people with their nice flashy houses, I told you before in the first session, don't get too hooked up on your nice homes and everything, or your cars, or whatever it is. It's going to get flattened. That's why we're not to love the things of the world. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, because it's God's going to cleanse the earth of all the sin and evil that's been all over it for centuries since the fall of Adam and Eve. So therefore, this would all indicate, again, Habakkuk 3.6, that while the Lord Jesus Christ is standing and causing the earth to shake, while looking and causing the nations to tremble with fear, the ancient mountains will disintegrate and the primeval hills will be flattened from the face of the earth. So, Revelation 6.14 teaches that when the sixth seal judgment is broken, those six, seven seal trumpet and bowl judgments of Revelation, we're going to study in our Day of the Lord series on Wednesdays. Each one of them. So Revelation 6.14 teaches that when the sixth seal judgment is broken, every mountain will be removed, will be moved from its place. Mount Everest, this mountain that we're at the foot of. <laughs> also, Revelation 1620 teaches that when the seventh bowl judgment takes place, it will result in the second advent of Jesus Christ. And an unprecedented earthquake will occur so that the mountains cannot be found. So let's look at, the, let's look at first of all, the first one, Revelation 6. Go to Revelation 6, verse 1, please. You're already in Revelation. Go to Revelation 6, 1. Now I'll have it on the board for you if you don't have your Bible in front of you. Look at Revelation 6, 1. So as I said before, Revelation 6, 14 teaches that when the sixth seal judgment is broken, every mountain will be moved from its place. Why is that important? Because that's what we're reading about in Habakkuk 3, 6. That's prophesied about Jesus at his second advent. Revelation 6, 1. As I watched, I watched as the Lamb, that's Jesus, open the first of the seven seals, that's the, the title deed to planet Earth that he, he received because of his victory at the cross. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come! I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the seven, second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. When the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, war, famine, and plague by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, O Lord, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? So coming back in the second advent is also what we call justice. There's no justice in our country anymore. We don't believe in a death penalty for murderers and rapists, child molesters. The Bible says to, you take a man's cold-blooded murder, it demands the death penalty. God demands it. Genesis 9. That's what the government was, was designed for, Romans 13. But are we to practice it in our country? No. Police officers getting murdered left and right. 
The media is speaking evil of them. Of course, when it's time when the guy breaks into your home, well, what are you going to call? Because everybody say, I'm off the force because you guys don't want us. You want Everybody, cop is not a bad cop. But that's what we're going on in our country. No justice, no capital punishment, and there's blood on the land. What do you think he's going to do about that? I say he's going to come back and destroy these people who reject his law. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers were to be killed as they had been completed, as, as they had been, was completed. I watched as he opened the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and every island was removed from its place. The whole stellar universe, all the creation, the earth, its atmosphere, everything has been totally affected by this judgment. Verse 15, then the kings of the earth, it says, and the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him. They're going to see Jesus' face who sits on the throne, the Father, and from the wrath of the Lamb. The Lamb of God is going to exercise his wrath at the second advent toward everyone who rejects him as their Savior. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So, we see also, the seventh and final bold judgment is recorded in Revelation 16, 17 through 21, and it's poured out into the earth's atmosphere, resulting in an unprecedented earthquake, the greatest to ever take place on the earth since human beings have been on it. Now, as in the case of the final seal judgment, the seventh and final trumpet judgment, the seventh and final bold judgment is introduced by the sound of voices, peals of thunder, lightning, and a great earthquake. And this massive worldwide earthquake will reduce the cities of the Gentiles, all the cities you see, Huntsville, Boston, New York, Prague, London, Moscow, Leningrad, Peking, all going to be wiped off the face of the earth because somebody is pretty angry right now. He created the world. He, we're breathing his air, drinking his water, eating his food, walking on his earth. What do you think he thinks? How would you feel if you were the creator and a savior who died for all these people and they look at you with disgust and disrespect you? I know what I would do. I'd destroy those suckers. How dare they shake their fist at the creator who loved them and gave himself up for them. So, this massive earth, worldwide earthquake will reduce the cities of the Gentiles to rubble and change the topography of the earth, and it will also result in tremendous tsunamis. When an earthquake, massive one, takes place, we know the tsunamis are incredible. They're terrifying. Unbelievable. I would not want to be... That's why I don't like living near the ocean. Okay? I don't want to be... I, Massachusetts, I didn't like to go in the ocean when I was a kid, and I still don't like going near the ocean. I like being on a boat with a life right preserver, okay? And if an earthquake takes place, I'm out of there. Get to shore as fast as you can. Get a helicopter and get me out of here. Because I don't want to, the ocean is terrifying, okay? So I don't know many of you, that's why I like to stay landlocked as close as I can to the ocean. We're, for, we're kind of away from the ocean, right? So I like that. Now, also, listen to this, don't miss this. Also, the city of Babylon, that's going to be rebuilt. You know, Iraq, we, we sent our soldiers over, right? Spilled our blood over there. Guess what? The city of Babylon will be resurrected, the Bible says, during the, the 70th week of Daniel. The city of Babylon will be split, which will be the economic center of the world, not New York. Okay? It will be split into three parts as a result of this earthquake. Some interpret this city to be Jerusalem. However, Revelation 16, 19 makes clear that this city will be Babylon because the cup of the wine of God's fierce wrath, fierce wrath is poured out against this city. The city of Babylon is located on the Euphrates River and will be rebuilt 
and it will be the capital of the final world government. One more passage to go to. You're in Revelation. Look at Revelation 16 now. Revelation 16. Look at verse 1, please. Revelation 16, 1, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple, one in heaven, saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl in the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. They, then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, You are just in these judgments. You who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. See, part of these judgments, to get them to see their need for Jesus, to bow the knee, but they won't. They're stubborn, hard-headed sinners. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And then it says in verse 13, then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs, they came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast. The dragon is Satan, the beast is the Antichrist. And out of the mouth of the false prophet. There's your satanic trinity, trinity there, people. Satan, he's mimicking the father. The beast, the Antichrist, is mimicking Jesus. And the false prophet who promotes the worship of the Antichrist mimics the Holy Spirit. There's your satanic trinity. And it's in other places. Verse 14, they are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. All that's going on in the world today and we're leading up to the second advent of Christ is preparing the world, the final battle that Jesus will be victorious over. No one will be talking about Napoleon or MacArthur or Nebuchadnezzar or Caesar or Schwarzkopf, or Patton. You know who they'll be talking about for the rest of eternity? The greatest of all warriors, Jesus Christ. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him, so that they may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. God's program of judgment during the tribulation period is over. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man had been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the Great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. This earth is in for it. And the devil is just trying to wait. The devil's trying to get one last pitch battle here, and he's trying to get the world, save the world, and let's get protect the earth. We've got to stop it from the asteroids hitting the earth. We've got to clean up this planet. Yeah, it's going to get destroyed. We're going to get ready for the aliens. That's right. You know who's going to be the aliens? We, coming back with Jesus, are going to be the aliens. And what have they been trained to do? The movies say, go shoot those suckers. Okay? And then it says in verse 21, look at this. From the sky, huge hailstones of about 100 pounds each fell upon men, and they cursed God. 
on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. That is intense. The supernaturally formed huge hailstones that will weigh 100 pounds each will destroy anything left standing from the earthquake and would no doubt kill or seriously injure those they hit. Again, instead of this judgment leading to repentance, change of attitude about Jesus and trust in him as Savior, the unsaved continue to blaspheme the person of God instead. This seventh bull judgment is reminiscent of the seventh plague in Egypt. Exodus 9, 22-26 talks about it. Just as Pharaoh and the Egyptian leaders refused to humble themselves before the Lord and trust in him, so the unsaved inhabitants of the earth during the seventh bull judgment will do the same. And this seventh bull judgment, which results in the unprecedented, massive worldwide earthquake, completes God's judgment program for the final three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week and will result in the second advent of Christ. Listen to me. Satan's masterpiece. Look at Don't blame the world. Don't blame God for the way the world is. The world is the way it is with injustice, murder, child, child abuse, starvation, war, famine. It's all because there's an angel, the devil, who hates mankind, who hates Jesus and hates the church. He's called the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. And he deceives the world, and the whole world is under his power, 1 John 5, 19. It's his fault, the way the world is in ours. We're volitionally responsible. We have a free will, and what do we do? We sin, don't we? We all sin. I sin, you sin. And how does that hurt God, and how does it hurt each other? I mean, there's nobody in this room who hasn't hurt somebody. Or hurt themselves from their bad decisions. Okay? So the world's a mess, not because of Jesus, not because of God, not because of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's because of his creatures. They made it a mess. So, we see here that Satan's masterpiece which results in this unprecedented, Satan's masterpiece, his worldwide system that we live in, okay, is destroyed, reduced to rubble as a result of these seven bowl judgments. So, at his second advent, we'll close with this, the Lord Jesus Christ brings to an end the times of the Gentiles that we're currently in and the 70th week of Daniel, which is yet future, and thus the exercise of God's righteous indignation during the last three and a half years of the 70th week. There will be a national regeneration of the nation of Israel at second advent. They'll believe in him. A majority of Jews will believe in him at the second advent and will witness this. His first advent, the majority rejected him. Only a small remnant believed. He will also, at that time, destroy the tribulational armies, have Antichrist and the false prophet thrown into the lake of fire and will imprison Satan for a thousand years. Revelation 20, 1 through 3 and will establish his millennial reign on the earth. Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6. At that time, the Lord and his armies will orbit the earth, will be behind him. Before landing on the Mount of Olives, he'll orbit the earth. That's why every eye will be able to see him. And so there'll be a great, as we close with this, there'll be a great earthquake at that time when our Lord's foot touches the Mount of Olives from which he ascended 2,000 years ago. And it'll be a unique day, as we read in the first session in Zechariah 14. Neither day nor night. The Lord Jesus Christ describes the tribulation period in detail in his second advent in Matthew 24 and also Luke 21 in his Olivet Discourse. So there we have it, people. So how should we live as believers in Jesus Christ? We should live our lives accordingly. When we sin, confess our sins. And to stay in fellowship after we confess our sins, Learn and put into practice God's word. Make it your number one ambition to become like Christ. And you can't do that without obeying the spirit who teaches us through the scriptures. If you're not a believer in Jesus, what does this tell you? I better reconsider how I'm looking at myself here and how my, my eternal destiny, where is it? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. And the Father did not send the Son of the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's how much he loves you and I as sinners. That's what we need to do in light of this future imminent events that are coming upon this Christ-rejecting world. Yes, 
Trust in the Savior. He will never let you down. And for those who know that already, let's keep persevering in our walk with God, overcoming our trials and tribulations and undeserved suffering to grow, grow up to be like Christ, imitating him and thought, word, and action, serving each other, loving one another as Christ has loved us, being good stewards with the time, talent, and treasure that God has given each one of us to bring glory to him because we owe him everything, don't we? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for everyone here this morning, and we just pray, Father, this lesson would be a great blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much, Father, for these things that we've learned in the first and second session about the second advent of your son. We know that we're delivered from your wrath, Father, through faith in your son. So help us to go forward in, our, in your plan to grow up to spiritual maturity, to speak about Jesus when given an opportunity so that others can enjoy the, the fruits of being saved from sin, Satan, and his cosmic system in your wrath. So, Father, we just thank you and praise you again for saving us. We thank you for the eternal life that we have, and we thank you for the great future that you have planned for us and help us to live in a fashion that brings glory to you and your Son, Jesus Christ, in the remaining days that we have on this earth. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to sing you a song and get you out of here.
Fred, what day are we going to have the board meeting? Oh, uh, you can't I do it Monday? It's Monday. You can do it Monday? Yeah. Is that a high day for you? It's a good Monday. Okay. No, I'm, I'm just coming in back into town that day, but um, if we could have done it Tuesday, it would have been better. It's not 